Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Hi, my name is Spencer. I'm an alcoholic joke teller. And I have been asked to let everybody know, since we're uh, having a special edition up here, that if you need to use the restroom, you can go right over here, and it's back there. Cool. All right, this is from uh, Take Me to Your Sponsor. It's the best jokes and cartoons that AA Grapevine can find. All right, and uh, a, a drunk dad goes to the supermarket and notices a woman waving at him. She says hello. He's rather taken aback because he can't place where he knows her from. Do you know me, he asks. She replies, I think that you're the father of one of my kids. He thinks her all and, and says, oh my gosh. Are you the woman I met back in detox in 1995? I was pretty drunk that night and those days. Uh, she looks him into his eyes and calmly says, No, I'm your son's teacher. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rebecca. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that will or might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step studies tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
and we're going to do the fog like prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love for me. Solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Ben to read Appendix 2 Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Hi, my name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that personality changes sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality change or religious experience experiences must have been in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided that he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one needs to have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 and 568. Refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode, or just turn it off. This is Tom's last session with us, and here he is. How are you doing this evening? Ooh, 
these lights are brighter up here than they are downstairs. It takes some getting used to. Anyway, uh, my name's Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, well, that's good. I forgot to turn my phone off, and I got sponsees calling me, okay? There. So I guess we all better turn our phones off if we, unless you're as inconsiderate as I am. <laughs> Sorry about that. I uh, I was thinking, you know, I don't I don't usually think much. <laughs> it's it's not really a good idea to think too much, you know, with a with a mind like mine, an alcoholic mind like mine. If you if you let it. Uh, do too much thinking, you get in trouble. And I was uh, taught by the man who, who really brought me to God. He he uh, he used to say, you know, we can't think our way into good living. We have to live our way into good thinking. And and that's really the key of Alcoholics Anonymous is action. You know, this is an action program, and it's all about what kind of action do I take. Just like he convinced me to pray when I didn't really want to pray. I told that story. When he asked me, you know, to pray, and I said, well, I don't see how that's going to do anything. And I'd spent 10 years uh, around Alcoholics Anonymous, never even got sober, never got a year. And this is after 10 years of doing that. I'm still so defiant as to say to him, I don't see how that's going to do anything. And he said to me, how's your way been working, wise guy? Your way been working for you all these years? And I had to admit, with a track record like mine, that it hadn't worked. And so then he told me, he said, I believe, I believe that this was the best thing that was ever told to me by any person in Alcoholics Anonymous. It really is my core story. He said to me, then I guess it doesn't make any difference what you believe in, then does it? Because what you believe in doesn't work. He was telling the truth. I couldn't deny that. I couldn't deny the fact that what I believed in had not worked at getting me sober and keeping me sober. And I'd been trying it my way for 10 years. And so he gave me an out. He said, I'm not asking you to believe. This isn't about what are you willing to believe. This is about what are you willing to do. And I believe, you know, after all these years now, and I just celebrated 40 years in December on December the 9th, after all these years, I'm telling you, I absolutely believe this is about what you do. It's about the action that you take. Like I'm real fond of saying, I don't, you know, I mean, we have all these chapters in the big book, you know, in, you know, uh, um, you know, into action, how it works. And there's a a solution, you know, but but there's no chapter that says figure it out. There's no figure that this is how you figure it out chapter. Okay, that's that's not in there. And uh, I, I hear that constantly from the guys I work with. Well, I was thinking. Well, that's your first mistake right there. That's what they told me, you know. You're thinking, that's your first mistake. And I think that, you know, because of my upbringing, 
which I'm Catholic, I'm Irish, and I'm Catholic, and I was brought up in the church, and I went, I had catechism every day, and I went to Catholic schools my whole life, and I was, I was shown how to pray, pray rosaries over and over and over again, okay, novenas, and you know, uh, making confessions and absolution and Apostles' Creed, and it's prayer, 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 prayer. When this man told me, look, I don't want you saying anything to God other than grant me the strength to stay clean and sober today. Because you don't need to tell God what he ought to be doing. He's God, and you're not. You don't need to petition God. I learned a long time ago, I don't go to God like a beggar, okay? And I don't ask God to change anything in my life. I, don't, I just don't work that way in this program. That, ha- that would not be a successful way of prayer for me, to petition God all the time about things. You know, I know... I know because uh, because I finally found the God that worked for me that my God spares me of nothing in this life. He spares me from nothing. But he sustains me through everything. Through this life. There's no special dispensation. You know, I don't know if you know that term. That's a good Catholic term. It's such a good Catholic term, the laborers' union, which I've been in 50 years. That's what we call it, you know, because we're all Italians and Irish and Polish. That's what we call it when we waive your initiation fee. We give you a special dispensation. You don't have to pay, you know. I don't get any special dispensation from this life. My God makes no distinction between good and bad people. Sickness or death can strike anybody. Anywhere, anytime, we live this life. The life that we have, we live. We can't whine about it. I can't whine about it because that's what I did for years was whine about it. God didn't meet my demands. God didn't do things my way. What's the matter with this God? You know, I had an expectation of God. I had an expectation that if I do the right things, you're supposed to reward me. You know, I don't know where we get this idea from. You know, maybe we get it from organized religion who like to make sure that we're always there at church throwing money in the basket. <laughs> you know, I'm just telling you the way I feel about things. OK, I'm not trying to say that religious people are wrong. The book teaches me to see where religious people are right. And I do. And I and I read a lot of religious things. I look at a lot of different religions. I'm open-minded to whatever is there, but I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that. I can't have that, you see. See, because I had a punishing God, and I had to get rid of the punishing God. And the only way for me to get rid of the punishing God was the Santa Claus God had to go with it. Because if I believe in a rewarding God, then I must believe in a punishing God, too. It only makes sense. It only is logical to my mind. So therefore, I, for me, I can't believe in either one. So prayer, to me, is very simple. 
you know. Prayer to me is real simple. I'm going to tell you what my prayer is every morning. I get on my knees every morning like I was taught because then I learned that the obsession was removed from doing that, doing what he suggested, remove that obsession. And I know that God removed that obsession from me so that he could sustain me in this life. You know, and, and I get on my knees and I say, God, grant me the strength to stay clean and sober today. Take my life and my will under your care. I say the third step prayer. It's optional how you say it. You like to say the whole third step prayer? God bless you. Say the whole third step prayer. You know, whatever works for you. You know, but I say, God, grant me the strength to stay clean and sober today. Grant me the knowledge of your will for me. Take my life and my will under your care. And do with me as thou wilt. Thy will be done in my life and through my life. Thy will be done. And I know. I know that God works through us. I know that we're all a part of God. I know that what that man taught me when he said that, when he asked us, what's Alcoholics Anonymous all about? Alcoholics Anonymous is all about people. What are people all about? People are all about God. And what's God all about? God's all about love. So this love, you know, that God has for me, has for you, has for all of us, that's what I need to work on. I need to work on that. That's what I need to seek. I need to seek that or search for it. Search for it maybe is a better way to put it. You know, because I learned... uh, Early on, you know, in the second step, you know, one of my favorite parts when we read how it works is the ABCs. And then I'm powerless, right? I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic and my life is unmanageable. A. B. That probably no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. And C. That God could and would if he were sought. It does not say God could and would if he were found. It's not about finding God. It's about search, searching. So I'm always uh, in a search for God. I like uh, the way that uh, I quoted Bob Anderson's book before. Bob had a, a way of putting it. If I can... Indulge me for a moment. In step two, the meaning is that I understood that there is a power greater than myself who can restore me to sanity. Now, step 11 is telling me that I have to have something in my life, a conscious contact with God. Not only that, this is something I need to improve on. I have to get more of it. I have to stay with it. I have to live with it. Step 11 is where I learned about a living God, not just a God I prayed to. He goes on and further and he talks about my world. And this is I really identify with this, especially early on in my sobriety. My world is a world that's harmful. That's the way I looked at the world. I looked at the world that it was harmful. You know, I built a resentment towards God because 
I had what a sponsor told me a long time ago, and he was, you know, I never even thought of it until he confronted it with me, and he said, you know what, you don't stand much of a chance of change until you get rid of your victim story. Your victim story's got to go. I didn't even think I was a victim. I thought I was just persecuted. My whole life, I was persecuted. People didn't treat me the right way. Life didn't treat me the right way. God didn't treat me the right way. And, you know, I was basically, I was like Russell Spence would say, a thumb-sucking crybaby my whole life, okay? Whining, bitching, and moaning over things didn't go my way. And I got a right to be angry, you know? That self-justified anger, you know, is, is really, you know, it's, it makes you feel so powerful, you know, so good, you know. You wrap yourself in it, you know, and you can just feel so much better than everybody else. So, yeah, I lived in a world that's harmful. That's a world that I create, though. I created that world, me. That's not real. That's my perception. I have a perception of the world that way. At one time, I thought the world out there was hurting me. I found out that the world wasn't hurting me. I was hurting the world. Because of the way I lived and my anger, I was always lashing out. I was a very aggressive alcoholic. I was always at war with everything and everybody. That's why the book talks about we cease fighting anything or anybody. But I loved fighting everything and everybody. I always tell people, you know, I was a union leader. You think I became a union leader because I was a nice guy? No, I became a union leader because my members knew that I would bust your head, okay? And I used to do that before I got sober, before I became spiritual, okay, and found a spiritual way of life. Oh, I definitely would bust your head and do a lot of other things. You know, of course, uh, those kinds of things land you in prison for the rest of your life, too. <clears throat> one time I thought the world out there was hurting me. I found out that the world wasn't hurting me. I was hurting the world. I was doing things that I thought were right because I thought the world was wrong. I'm right and you're wrong. You know, what did I do for all those years uh, around Alcoholics Anonymous, getting in arguments with the loving people of Alcoholics Anonymous who were trying to help me? trying to help me change my perception and help me to see things in a different light and in a different way, I was arguing with them because I had to prove they were wrong. And in their loving way, they would pat me on the back. They'd say, it's okay, Tom, you got a right to be wrong. Boy, that used to piss me off. Well, what's that supposed to mean? I don't even understand what that's supposed to mean. What's that? You're being a smart aleck or something? You know, what's that supposed to mean? i got a right to be wrong. Because I didn't think I had a right to be wrong. Deep down in me, because of my egoism, you know, and all my, you know, self-condemnation, building a character full of false pride, I had to be right and you had to be wrong. And I would jump down your throat with both boots to prove that you were wrong and I was right. If that meant busting your head. Step 11 says, that I sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. Why does it say sought? This, now, this gets into what I was talking about. Why does it say sought? What does that mean? 
To me, it is significant that the step says sought instead of seek. To me, to seek means to search for something until I found it. Once I find it, I'll quit searching for it. Hmm. Because the step says sought, it's implying that this is something that never ends. Conscious contact is something I'm going to have to keep searching for. It's a growing thing. It's a going thing. It's a thing that progresses. Progresses. I have to keep looking, searching, always. I have to keep going for it. This is the only step that talks about how you grow spiritually. How you grow spiritually. Constantly. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm still doing it. I'm still searching. I haven't found, you know, and I know that I'll search until the day I die. Because it's the way that I live in the day that I'm in. I need to live in the day that I'm in. I can't live in yesterdays or yesteryears. I can't live in tomorrow. Those are two days I don't belong in. And I have alcoholism. And I have alcoholism now. If I don't treat my alcoholism now, I have it now. If I don't treat it now, when am I going to treat it? You know, I used to, a man, the man I, I've talked about before, Tex from the 101 Club, who tried to help me back in the 70s, never saw me get sober. You know what he used to say? You know, it made so much sense. Here it is today. You know, these things, they don't really change. They've been around all this time. They're principles. They always were true. They always will be true. Yesterday's booze. He used to say, yesterday's booze is not getting me drunk today. And yesterday's sobriety is not keeping me sober today. I better ask myself, what am I going to do today to stay sober? Because this is the day I'm in. And this is the day that I need to treat my alcoholism. And so the way that I treat my alcoholism is, you know, in step 11, is through prayer and meditation. Now, I didn't really think I knew how to meditate, you know, because I go to meditation with people and they would sit around, you know, and they'd light the candles and put the music on, you know, and I'm falling asleep. And so I think I'm a loser, you know, I can't, I can't do this meditation. And, and so I go to a, a mentor of mine, a guy named Dave Diorio. He's long dead now. He was a great guy. And uh, I said, Dave, you know, I just, uh, you know, he was an old timer. I said, Dave, I just don't get, I can't get this, man. I just can't do this meditation. I mean, I try to do this meditation, and I'm, I'm just falling asleep. I mean, it's not doing anything for me. And he said, let me ask you something. I said, yeah. He said, do you read the 24-hour-a-day book? You know, AA didn't have, you know, I'm going back 40 years. but didn't have the other book that AA has now. He only had Hazelden's book, which I still read today, the 24-hour-a-day book. I've been reading it every day for 40 years. And he says, uh, he says do you read the 24-hour-a-day book? I says, yeah. He said, when do, you, when do you read it? I says, well, you know, I keep it in the bathroom. And, and I read it, you know, in the morning when I'm doing my business. <laughs> and he says, yeah. He says, and do you read the meditation for the day? And I said, yeah. And he said, and do you sit there on the throne and think about the meditation for the day? And I says, yeah. He says, then you're meditating. You know, I mean... <laughs> You, you, you have, I talked about this last week, you know, this is our program. 
Okay, it's our program. We have a program. AA has a program, has a, all these suggestions. It's suggested, just like the third step, you, you know, you, you could suggested you could say that prayer any way you want. It's the same thing with meditation. I'm not going to let anybody tell me this, that this is wrong and that's right. I'm not in the right and wrong business around here. There's either you do it or you don't do it. Now figure out how you're going to do it. Figure out how you're going to do it that works for you. Because there's all, just like the fourth step. Oh, that's the wrong way. You can't work the fourth step that way. Well, why not? Is there any rules about that? It's just like, oh, well, that's not conference approved. Well, neither is the Bible. Okay. Does that mean you can't read the Bible? It's not conference approved? What's conference approved Me. All it means is that general services got a committee that says you, general service can print this book and sell it. Okay? That's all conference approved is. There's no, you don't, you know, uh, th- look, there's no dogma. That's why I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Because there's no dogma here like I had in religion growing up. You know, people say to me, well, you don't like, you don't like being a Catholic? You won't hear me say I'm a recovered Catholic. You won't hear me say that, okay? I'm an alienated Catholic, but I'm not a recovered one. You know, because there's a lot of people that got it right. They're fine with being Catholics, okay? And, and, and God bless them, you know? And maybe someday I will go back. Who knows? You know, leave it to Richard Rohr and Pope Francis. I just might. But, you know, the, the whole thing is that, that people would say to me, well, if you don't like it, why don't you go to some other church? I said, well, listen, if I wanted to go to church, I got a church I was raised in, I'd go to. I'm just not crazy about organized religion. Well, why is that? I said, maybe because I spent my whole life in organized labor. I was the treasurer, okay? You need money to run an organization. You know, I remember a good friend of mine was murdered in... in uh, Del Rey. Dave Steen was his name. Many years ago, he helped a lot of guys off of the street. He had a big gold medallion that he wore around his neck with 20 diamonds in it. And the guy busted his head open and stole it. And we were sitting around the central house before the meeting started, me and a few other guys. And the cops came in. And the cops said, uh, who's in charge here? And I go, nobody's in charge here. My typical defiant way, you know. And he said, don't be a wise ass. And I said, no, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, nobody's in charge here. We take turns, you know, being in charge. Well, whose turn is it now? That's who I want to talk to, okay? You know, AA is the most unorganized organization in the world. It's why I love it so much. It's what... It's what gives me the ability to be here and have stayed here for all of these years because nobody can really get in my face and tell me, you know, look, there are things that I need to do. I need to surrender. If I won't surrender and I wouldn't surrender, there wasn't much of a chance of anything happening in my life. And it wasn't until I finally got to the place where I was ready to surrender and where I became willing honest with myself that my way hadn't worked, open-minded to take other people's suggestions and willing to do it. I had a, a man, been dead a long time, he, I used to call him my 11-step sponsor. He was a wonderful old man. 
I was just 32, 33. He was in his 80s, probably 82, 83. He started the first treatment center in Chicago. His name was Ed Hearn. Good Irish Catholic, and he'd go to Mass every morning, and he'd come to the noon meeting at Central House. And that was back in the 80s when it had become very predominant when discussion meetings were started. Prior to that, you know, we had literature meetings and speaker meetings and step meetings. We didn't have discussion meetings where we just opened the floor and whatever was bugging you that day, you're going to talk about, okay, and then have a discussion on. We, we, we had meetings about the literature. And anyway, it got to be a mantra almost that any time anybody brought up, you know, that they had this problem or they had that problem, it became a mantra in those meetings when the next person would share, well, you know, you're powerless. You know, you're powerless over people, places, and things. You know, you can't help it. You're just powerless over people, places, and things. And on and on and on. And one day, the old man, he was a very quiet old man, soft-spoken, not like me at all, you know. And we were sitting there, and the meeting was supposed to be a big book study meeting. And they start the meeting and start going like that. And everybody's commenting this person hasn't a problem with their husband or something. And, you know, you're powerless over people, place, and thing. And the old man flipped out. I mean, the big book was sitting in front of him, and he took his hand, and he slammed it down on that big book. And he said, show me where this book says that your problem is that you're powerless over people, places, and things. Because that's not what this book says. This book says your problem is you want power over people, places, and things. That's what your problem is. Amen. And we know that that's the truth. That this is a problem of control. We want what we want when we want it. We want it right now, and we want it our way. And we're going to tell God that's the way it ought to be. And we're going to tell you, and we're going to tell our husbands and wives and kids, and we're going to tell everybody, don't you understand what a wonderful uh, life? Your life will be wonderful. Just do what I tell you. Okay? Because I know my wife, she loves to say, Father knows best. Father knows best, you know. She's always teasing me all the time. God bless her. I'd say it if she was here. She'd laugh like hell. Anyway, uh, you see, I was about four years sober, and, and I had this, this girlfriend. And this girlfriend just wouldn't do what I wanted her to do. And I mean, I don't see, I tried to get her to understand that if you just do things my way, you'd have a, everything would be wonderful, okay? And, and this would, you'd have a great life. Just do things the way I'm trying to get you to do them. And so I used to go in and sit down with Ed after work because he would go from the noon meeting, go home, take a nap. He'd get up and go to Denny's in Boynton on Federal Highway when it used to be there. And I lived two blocks behind there along the tracks on 3rd Street. I just had two rooms I lived in and, and no car. I took my license and I'd come in there after work and I'd sit down with him at the counter and drink coffee. And I'd come in and I'd sit down next to him 
And I start ranting about this girl, you know. And I'm just going, and he's just sitting there real calm, and he's drinking his coffee and not saying anything. And after about 10 minutes of my ranting, once I finally stopped, he put his coffee cup down. And, you know, I was expecting him to do one of two things. I was expecting him either to, you know, kick me in the butt and tell me to stop feeling sorry for myself, or he was going to feel sorry for me, put his arm around me and tell me, yeah, it's going to be okay. He didn't do either one of those things. He turned and he looked me in the eye and he asked me this question. He said, Tom, let me ask you something. Did you ever think of asking God to do anything for anybody but you? I had a big moment of clarity. Because right then I realized I never had. I never realized the depth of my selfishness and self-centeredness to that moment. I'd never even asked God to help my folks or anybody else. No, I just prayed for me. Me. Me, me, me. And he got in his pocket in one of those old long suit wallets, you know, wallets that the men would wear with their suits, long leather wallet. He reached in there and he opened it up and you could see he had a whole bunch of holy cards of St. Francis in there. And he took that holy card out and he laid it on me. And he said, you know what, Tom? I think you should incorporate this prayer in your life. And maybe your character will start to change. Oh, yeah. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And we think that the dying is the dying of our physical body. No. The dying is the dying of self-centeredness. Bondage of self. Dying to that self is what St. Francis was talking about. Of course. I've learned, you know, it's a whole lot better to be the one who consoles than the one who needs to be consoled, to forgive than the one who needs to be forgiven, to understand than to be the one who needs to be understood, and to love than the one who needs to be loved. Because we're all codependents. I never met an alcoholic who wasn't. We all belong in CODA. You know, and when Bill wrote his essay, that's exactly what he wrote about. You know, he finally got it that his depression was caused by his codependency because he was just a control freak like me and thought that the only way he could be happy through his perspective was because he was dependent upon others to perform his way, so he could feel good about himself. I never apologized to anybody for my complete and total dependence in a power greater than myself. Please do not depend on me. I will fail you. 
I am human and I will fail you. And every human will fail me. I don't have to depend on any human. I depend on the dependable. I can always count on my God and depend on my God who has shown me and continues to show me the path. You know, we'll talk a little bit about the 12th step. And I mean, if you want, if you want instructions on how to sponsor somebody, there's no place better than this big book and working with others. There's explicit discussion of just exactly how to work with somebody, okay? You know, I think the most important things is I'm responsible to carry a message. I'm not responsible to carry a mess, okay? I got to convince every man that wife or no wife, job or no job, you know, no money, whatever. He can get sober. Anybody who thinks, you know, like I'm just talking about, that they have to have a dependence no, I got sober when there wasn't a bunch of halfway houses all over the place and treatment centers all over the place. I got sober in the American Legion Central House in Delray Beach when out back of that place was a bunch of abandoned cars and men used to sleep in those abandoned cars. And they got sober. They didn't have some bed to sleep in. It doesn't make any difference. If, I, if you want to be sober, you're going to be sober. If you want to say, oh, I can't be sober, uh, you know, unless uh, somebody feeds me, or houses me, clothes me, takes care of me, that's just a lie. Because you're just making somebody dependent on your sobriety. And it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. It, it didn't work for me until I became dependent upon God. And I became dependent upon God when I realized that because I had taken the suggestion that a man had asked me to take to get on my knees and ask God for the strength to stay clean and sober and realized that 40 years ago that obsession to drink had been removed and it hasn't come back since. And I haven't stopped getting on my knees every day and asking my God for that strength. Because I know, like I said, my God sustains me. I think that. I think, you know, I mean, the, the 12th step is a three-part step. I haven't had a spiritual awakening. You know, through these principles, I, I, like, I like the way, you know, this here I was. You know, this is the kind of character I was, right? So my sponsor, you know, he, see, he's talking to me about, you know, the principles, you know, and uh, we're going to learn the principles, and I keep saying to him, you know, well, when are you going to teach me these principles? Because I'm the guy, you know, who always wants to read the back of the book. Uh, you know, I want the, the cliff notes, okay? I mean, I'm in a hurry, you know. I mean, let's go, you know. I, I want to, you know, I was pushing him so hard because I just want to get these steps out of the way and get on, you know, get on to uh, pleasure in myself, you know. Listen, one of the hardest things I ever, I ever came across, I love Father John Doe. I don't know if you know who Father John Doe was. He was an old writer. And a very good uh, alcoholic priest who the Pope assigned to start opening up treatment centers for priests, alcoholic priests. He wrote a book called Sobriety and Beyond. He, he wrote a lot of books back in the 40s, you know, the golden books. And in one of Father John Doe's golden books, he starts the page out with, the purpose of life 
is to purify us, not satisfy us. I thought, oh, Jesus, this, this man really, want, he's really strict, right? I mean, I'm not supposed to be satisfied by life? The purpose of my life is to be purified? Well, I've come to learn, you know, that that's where the real satisfaction lay. The real satisfaction laid in my life being purified. Because I was obsessed with everything. You know, look, you, I got a sponsee. He says, once we quit drinking, it's time to bring in the substitutes. Okay? Bring the substitutes in. Let's go to the casino. Okay? Let's get hooked on porn, you know, on the, on the Internet. You know, let's... Uh, Let's start, uh, you know, uh, dating somebody. Let's get, let's get on, let's get on with being satisfied. Let's acquire a bunch of money, you know. Let's keep on lying and cheating and stealing. It's okay, you know, as long as you know you're, you're getting what you're supposed to have. And so he tells me, he goes, you know, he, he tells me, well, we're going we're to get to the to the principles. We get we get to the twelve step, and you're going to learn the principles. You know, I had no idea that what he was talking about was having a spiritual way, awakening as the result of these steps. And, you know, you look right here on the, on the forward in the 12 and 12, and you'll see AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession of drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. So I get there and I go, okay, we're at the 12th step. What's, what's the principles? And he goes, you just learned them. You just learned them. The 12 steps are the principles. When I talk about application of the step in my life, I'm talking about the principle of that step being applied into my life on a daily basis. That's application. Okay? I mean, to say, you know, my my uh, my uh, my man there, Bob Anderson. You know what he used to say? He's been dead since 1997. Got sober when I was born, 1952. He used to say, you know, these jo- these these meetings are necessary, but they're not going to get you sober. Sobriety is not in the meeting. Sobriety is in the program. It's in the steps. It's in the steps as a way of life through application. That's what we have to do, is we have to apply those steps into our life. In, in our life, in a way that is a little bit uh, different, maybe, than uh, what we hear, what we talk about a lot, even though we see it. We see it in, in step 12. So practicing these, uh, here in step 12, it talks about the persistent use of meditation and prayer we found did open the channel so that where there had been a trickle now was a river, which led to a power and safe guidance from God as we were increasingly better able to understand him. So practicing these steps, we had a spiritual awakening about which finally there was no question. Looking at those who were only beginning and still doubted themselves, the rest of us were able to see the change setting in. From great numbers of such experiences, we could predict 
the, the doubter who still claimed that he hadn't got the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved AA group the higher power would presently love God and call him by name. Down the page it talks, it says, his own character may still be gravely defective, but he somehow knows that God has enabled him to make a mighty beginning, and he senses that he stands on the edge of new mysteries, joys, and experiences of which he had never dreamed. Practically every AA member declares that no satisfaction has been deeper and no joy greater than in a 12-step job well done. To watch the eyes of men and women open with wonder as they move from darkness into light. To see their lives quickly fill with new purpose and meaning is to see whole families reassembled. To see the alcoholic outcast received back into his community is full citizenship. And above all, to watch these people awaken to the presence of a loving God in their life. These things are the substance of which we receive as we carry AA's message to the next alcoholic. Yes, through practice, through practice of the principles in all of their ways. You know, there, I don't know any other way to live after all these years. I mean, the book talks about this is something you don't want to miss. It's not that Alcoholics Anonymous is my, my whole life, that that's all I do. Of course, I do a lot more of it now that I'm retired. It was less so when I had children I was raising. And I have a wife in the program who used to say, you're not going to make an AA widow out of me running around every night with your buddies to meetings and stuff. I need to go to meetings too. We need to take turns on, on, on taking care of these children. I wasn't the greatest father. My father wasn't a very good father because my father was an adult child of an alcoholic. He used to see his father sleeping in doorways on Skid Row. He wasn't real good at, at knowing what to do. But I tried. I tried harder than him. And I got two boys. We have two boys. One's 33. The other one's 28. I'm going to tell you, they're a whole lot better than I was at, at their ages and in their lives. Well, I have to practice all of these, these principles in all my affairs, not just in an AA meeting, but in all my affairs. And there's a lot, you know, I mean, it's a lot to live, to live this way. It's, it's not going to be done all at one time. It's not going to happen that way. It talks about the 12 and 12. What about practice these principles and all affairs? Can we bring the same spirit of love and tolerance into our sometimes deranged family lives that we bring to our AA group? Can we have the same kind of confidence and faith in these people who have been infected and sometimes crippled by our own illness that we have in our sponsors? Can we actually carry the AA spirit into our daily work? Can we meet our newly recognized responsibilities to the world at large? And can we bring new purpose and devotion to the religion of our choice? 
Can we find a new joy of living and trying to do something about all these things? Furthermore, how shall we come to terms with seeming failure or success? Can we now accept and adjust to either without despair or pride? Can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, and bereavement with courage and serenity? Can we steadfastly content ourselves with the humbler, yet sometimes more durable satisfactions than the brighter, more glittering achievements when they're denied us? The AA answer to this question about living is yes. All these things are possible. We know this because we see monotony, pain, and even calamity turned to good use by those who keep on trying to practice AA's 12 steps. It's a lifetime thing. I, I, you know, this, this happens because of my practice with Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, I, will, I had to learn the hard way. I had to learn the hard way. Almost threw it all away. I was ready. I was talking about it last week. I almost threw it all away because of my obsession with money, power, and prestige and materialism and turned my back on spiritualism and thought that, well, I got to build this first. I got to build this life because I'd been a bum for all those years. Now I got to build this life, and then I'll get to that later. I'll get to it later. Later almost didn't happen. What I really wanted to do? Murder my partner. Murder my partner at 15 years sober. All I could think about was how I could get him out in the glades and put a bullet in him and leave him out there for the gators. 15 years sober. The only thing that saved me was getting on my knees every morning and asking God for the strength to stay clean and sober. But what happened, what happened was, was coming through all that. And the only way it happened was walking away from all that. I realized, I came to realize what a, what a failure I was in my own life in sobriety. And it was destroying me. Thank God, you know, that I was granted, I was granted mercy again. Because I'm not, I'm sober by mercy. And I stay sober by grace. You know, I, I have a good friend that went to prison for years. He used to say, you know, I didn't get justice. I got mercy. I got mercy. And that's what I got. I didn't get justice. I got mercy. You know, I, uh, I, like, I love the 12 and 12. Uh, you know, yeah. Perfect instructions. I work, in all, I work in both books and all books. Perfect instructions in the big book. Mechanics. 12 and 12 is a step study. So I like to study. I study a lot of things. I like to end with, uh, with the last page of step 12, which I think is really, really pertinent. On page 124, it says, we no longer strive to dominate or rule those about us in order to gain self-importance. We no longer seek fame in honor in order to be praised. When by devoted service to family, friends, business, or community, 
we attract widespread affection and are sometimes singled out for posts of greater responsibility and trust, we try to, humbly, try to be humbly grateful and exert ourselves the more in a spirit of love and service. True leadership, we find, depends upon able example and not upon vain displays of power or glory. Still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor do we wish to be. Service gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help, the knowledge at home or in the world outside, we are partners in a common effort, the well-understood fact that in God's sight all human beings are important, the proof that love freely given surely brings a full return, the certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons, the surety that we need no longer be square pegs in round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things, these are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living, for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could possibly be substitutes. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. Thanks for letting me share. A special thanks for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us these past three months. We have a couple of special gifts for you. First gift is two collectors, limited production, first edition big book refrigerator magnet. And the second gift we have for you is a limited edition coffee mug. Thank you very much for your service. Let's take the speaker one more time. And here is Brandon with your alcoholic secretary report. Hi, my name is Brandon, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states every group shall fully be self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the chair backs. Uh, I've asked Evan to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. An alcoholic? Yeah. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
Alcoholics Anonymous of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75 success rate. Um, if anyone is needing a sponsor, please raise your hand. If you're too shy, you can come up and stand by the piano, and somebody will come uh, speak to you. And then can the recovered alcoholics please raise your hand? That's a lot of recovery. Um, if your hand was not raised, we suggest you hang out with the people whose were. And then screen announcements. Uh, Broward Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next slide. Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get to an, out out an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any members of BCIC here? No? Okay, next slide. Uh, Men's Florida Advance at the 12-step house. No idea what that is. Next. Um, volunteer, <laughs> volunteer opportunities for the 60th Intergroup Appreciation Banquet will be held in April, and their planning meeting is February 21st. Uh, Paulette is going to be here from February 2nd to May 2nd. Uh, be prepared for that one. She packs a punch. Next. And Tom M. just finished up. Uh, and of course, we have our home groups, Monday nights, Big Book Study Workshop, where the Big Book comes alive. Join us for fellowship at 6.30, and workshop starts at 7.15. And we meet here every Thursday promptly at 7.15, and we ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. podcasts at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study and those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle and let's do the Lord's Prayer in our seats. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
stop your sighing, baby. And be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling.
Michael Chase. Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Yeah. <laughs>